Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Harold Sanjin by Patricia Sanjin with permission of 10 of those publishing companies, and we are doing part two of chapter 14. And to one with whom he would no longer share the pulpit, he wrote, My love and confidence have gone out to you for many years, and I have watched the growing of your powers of ministry and of your increase in the grace of God. As shades of evening gather around us old folks, the certainty that God is raising up those who will carry on the doctrine and the tradition more ably than we have done is an ingredient in our happiness as we move off the stage. And how he exalted in the sentence, At evening time it shall be light. He had never feared the last shadows, and as physical weakness became marked, he wrote to Mr. Bullock, You and I have found that at evening time it is still light. If shadows come and mental powers crumble, I think there will always be a response when the name of Jesus is sounded. In fact, he was forearmed. He had often looked quietly forward with a sort of eager, fearless curiosity to that last mile and had wondered by what route he would go home. He had spoken of this hope long before in a lecture on John 21. There is Christ walking on and on into eternity, and by his side there walks one man. He is going to die, and at his heels there is another man who, if Christ will, may tarry till he comes. So there are two highways by which all men shall leave this world, either by the lower road of death or by the upper road of tarrying. And with all my heart I hope I shall be among those who tarry. I am ready to die by the mercy of God. It would be a great experience, and in some ways I would not miss it for a lot, to go down into the valley of the shadow of death and have Christ with me. That is good. But there is something better, and that is not to die at all, but to hear the shout, which may be tonight. I long to see him. For beyond the valley he knew that he would see Christ, and that light streamed across the shadows so that the pathway ahead looked bright till the end. In fact, he often forgot the path in the joy of the destination. So the believer on the journey of life, he once said, may meet adversity or prosperity, sorrow or joy, temptation or triumph, but amidst them all he quietly whispers to himself, I am a son of God. And waiting for the end, he knows that behind the gates of death or glory, Christ is standing, and he holds the keys to all the mysteries of life. And near the end he wrote, For myself I am rejoicing in the sentence, The Lord shall preserve thy going out. Out from a world rent and saddened by strife, yet brightened everywhere by the faces of men, women, and children who love Jesus, and thy coming in. The land we are going to is so beautiful that I wonder why the Lord keeps so many of us here. He must need us for some task. But when we enter in, there will be no shadows. He was always an intensely happy man, and when, during the last months of his life, his heart condition gradually became more severe, and he became bedridden, his quiet joy never lessened. I can never hope for any change now except the great one, can I? He asked rather wistfully after a visit from the doctor, and having fully realized that, humanly speaking, no further improvement could take place, he quoted quietly, I have seen an end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceedingly broad. And a little later he asked his daughter to read him the story of Brazili. Let thy servant go out 
and from a little way from Jordan. The definition for Brazili is the people in the scriptures who there is little known of uh, of minor characters. The last eight months were weary ones. He had frequent heart attacks and could often only draw breath with oxygen, yet never once complained or showed any impatience. His wife and younger daughter nursed him, and he was always thinking out little ways of sparing them. Anxious for their rest, grateful, selfless, and utterly peaceful, as long as one of them was near at hand. And all the time, he was really ill. His wife practically never left the house. Occasionally, visitors were allowed in, and they always left the room with a wonderful sense of blessing. I am so glad I was privileged to have that last talk with him on confirmation day, wrote the clergyman who had prepared the girls for their confirmation. As usual, he was not thinking of himself, but others, and that was partly the secret of his joy, which was so characteristic. Jesus himself took the first place, others next, and himself always last. Could that characteristic joy stand firm against the onslaught of increasing weariness, weakness, and final helplessness? It did, and that quiet room was often a very merry place, for he never lost his sense of humor and would quite frequently murmur little jokes into the oxygen mask. As his physical strength grew less, so his sense of Christ's presence and his power in prayer seemed to increase. And in spite of breathlessness, he insisted on praying aloud daily in long, loving detail for the absent members of the family and the needs of the school. He was rejoicing in the hope of seeing his two elders from abroad in July. But when he realized that he would probably not be here in July, he accepted that, too. Tell them that the physical did not really matter, he said. They were a part of my life, and I've held them in my heart and prayed for them for 40 years. They may be at the other end of the world but they are here all the time. He spent hours in prayer and could often be heard in the night watches pouring out his heart to God. He read the papers till nearly the end and the needs of the world burdened him deeply. O Lord, some of thy people are so simple and some are so subtle. He would be heard murmuring, grant that those who think they are arranging the world may walk with God. His morning petitions after restless broken nights were bright with praise. Cause us to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, O Lord, he prayed. Most people seek pleasure at night and are grumbly and out of sorts in the morning. But we have started the day with thy loving kindness. And we are going out, bathed with thy loving kindness. He longed to go, and often the one who watched beside him at night heard him praying to be taken home. We are nearing the end of our pilgrimage. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now, Lord, what wait I for? And on several occasions when overtaken with a severe attack, he thought his time had come and his face glowed with a sort of holy excitement, not victory, but triumph. He scribbled on a piece of paper when too breathless to speak, a mere empty husk. All the victory with Christ. Sometimes there were times when the physical struggle swamped all else, but even then his heart was anchored. I feel like a little tug in a great storm, he gasped, but I am fastened to a great ship on ahead. It's going into port. It can't sink, and it can't lose its way. His joy reached a climax during the last week of his life. 
when I go in to see the king. It will be bright, very bright, he murmured in intervals. The king in his beauty, pure, cloudless joy. It's all gone, all my sins, all my fears. Only Christ now. I'm the happiest man alive. It's all bright, all bright. He expressed one wish two nights before he died. His son John had been in the habit of coming up from Color Tree whenever possible at weekends after finishing his practice. He would arrive during the evening, spend the early morning hours with his father, and then return to work. On the Thursday, Mr. Sanjin got confused as to the day of the week. Isn't John coming? he asked pitifully. Meanwhile, Oliver, his second son, who was much further away in Fallborough, had felt an urge to come at once and picked up John on the way. They were both sitting by their father's bedside at 2 a.m. when he awoke again, fully alert and mentally clear. His face lit up as he saw them, and he was able to enjoy them both for about five minutes, and then he relapsed into a semi-consciousness from which he never recovered. But he was still conscious of the presence of the Lord. While no longer recognizing those around him, he was still trying to sing. Jesus, my heart's dear refuge, Jesus has died for me. At 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 11th, he suddenly looked up steadfastly and stopped breathing. Mr. Sanjin had dictated his own obituary notice some weeks previously, and it was published in his own words, with the date inserted. Harold Sanjin, third son of Oliver Cromwell Sanjin, sometimes treasurer of Sedgwick, a great sinner redeemed by the precious blood of a great Savior, to be laid at rest in St. George's churchyard to await the coming of Jesus. The funeral service took place in the little country chapel of Butterman, amidst the buttercup fields. The few beautiful wreath and hundreds of bunches of wildflowers picked by the children who loved him spoke of his resurrection. The front of the chapel was a mass of bluebells, cowslips made, primrose, and young beech leaves, and three of his father's hymns were sung, led by a choir from Clarendon School. The funeral service conducted by Mr. A.J. Allen, Mr. G.C.D. Howley, and Mr. P.O. Ruoff radiated his own joy. The chapel was filled with friends from far and near. Mr. Howley spoke of the many living men and women in many countries whose lives had been dedicated to God and transformed through Mr. Sanjin's ministry. His death had not interrupted his work. It was going on and increasing all over the world through his spiritual children, and he himself was serving more perfectly. There seemed no place just then for sorrow, only for praising, and a great crowd gathered round the grave to sing, how good is the God we adore. When the guests finally separated, there was a wide, bright rainbow spanning the sea. I've never seen such a funeral, remarked an old man from the village. It was a kind of joyful like all the time. Nor was it quite the end. One notice had gone astray, and the dear old friend from Rao never heard the news until the day after the funeral. But he set out alone by bus and climbed the hill and stood for a time by the newly covered grave, looking back over the years and thanking God. Then he went home again to put down his thoughts on paper. There are changed lives and homes all over the world because of Mr. Sanjin, he wrote. He was a kindly teacher and a gentle shepherd. Hundreds and hundreds of letters poured in from all over the world, from high and low, old and young. 
practically all spoke of this deep, strong influence of the glad goodness that had so attracted. Hundreds wrote with a sense of real personal grief. For us, a light has gone out and the world is a poorer place, wrote the secretary of the North African mission who loved him as a father. Yet thank God for the light still shines and the way is open to those who will follow. By steep, rugged pathways of obedience and self-denial, through the daily discipline of hard work and prayer, through belts of cloud where he still trusted and praised, he had climbed to the sunshine of the love of God where all the mists of gloom and depression and fear had been scattered. Not as a stranger he entered in when the time came, but as one who had long lived within sight of the gates and known afar off the face of the Redeemer and would fain have handed back the secrets of heaven which he had begun to discern so clearly while yet on earth. As he called once in his sleep shortly before he died, I have found the solution to all our problems. It was love all the time. Addendum by Hazel Sanjan, daughter of Harold Sanjan. It is a great joy to me that the life of my father, Harold Sanjan, is being reprinted by the newly established Kinsley Press. Many have spoken or written of the blessing they received through the reading the first printing of this biography, which came out in 1961. It was written by my sister Patricia after our father's death in 1957. Harold's five children have now become 59 grandchildren and great-grandchildren scattered in different parts of the world, but mostly closely in touch. The older ones are grateful for the Christian heritage that is ours, and a number are in some form of Christian work. After our father died in 1957, our mother went to Tangier, Morocco, where Farnham and Patricia were medical missionaries. In the goodness of God, I was there for a brief visit in 1976 taking a break from my work as a missionary teacher in Lebanon, and it was during my visit that our mother was taken home. All five of Harold's children were saved in their youth and have maintained a consistent Christian testimony throughout their lives. Barnum and Patricia and myself all served as missionaries on foreign shores. Oliver and John have both served God faithfully, one as a scientist and the other as a medical doctor. From 1981 onwards, Patricia and I lived together in Coventry, England, and Patricia continued her writing and her work with children until her death in 1993. Her books for children, teenagers, and older folks are still being printed by Moody Press in the USA and the Scripture Union and several other smaller publishers in Great Britain. Some of her stories are now in approximately 40 different languages. Two of her children's stories, Treasures in the Snow and Tanglewood's Secret, have been made into films, and a third one, the secret of Pheasant Cottage is on the way. Letters still come to Patricia from grown-ups and children in different parts of the world, telling how they have found the Lord or have been helped in their Christian lives through her books. Her autobiography, Patricia Sanjan Tells Her Own Story, was published soon after her death by Operation Mobilization. My father's love for the Bible, his amazing knowledge of its contents, and his power to make it alive are as relevant today as ever. His unfailing love for my mother and for each of us children and for so many friends throughout the world have left an indelible impression. I am grateful that the story of his life is again to be shared with others. Like Enoch of old, Harold Sanjan walked with God, and I trust that the blessing he brought to others whom he met in his lifetime will be continued through the pages of this book.
That book has been such a blessing to me. I read it years ago, and uh, it was I was blessed then. But reading it again has just really renewed that blessing all the more. And, and as I've gotten older as well, and I just pray that your hearts were spurred on as much as mine was as well. And Oh, Lord, just give us that hunger and thirst for your holiness. And I just pray for each one of you that we could uh, meditate upon, go back to the word of God, meditate on his words, that we would seek to be a people who seeks to do God's will, not our will, but to do his will. And I just pray, Father, that you that you would bless these people that have listened to this book. Give us, Lord, your wisdom and your discernment, your holy discernment in our lives. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you at all times. And Lord, we ask these things in your son's precious and holy, holy, holy name. Amen. Well, we will be starting a new book on January the 18th, which is Monday. We're going to take just a couple of days off. And I just pray that um, the next book will be as a blessing to you as it is to me. I love you. I'm praying for you. And we'll see you on the 18th. Bye-bye.